This is Talking Business. I'm joined now by Warren Robertson, who is Portfolio Manager at Lazard Asset Management. G'day, Warren. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Alan. How are you? Uh, I'm fine. Thanks, Warren. Now, uh, one of the funds you work on is called the Global Equity Franchise Fund. What does the word franchise mean in that title? It's a good question. For us, it's about a business that ultimately is more predictable and more forecastable than your average industrial company. Um, What we're trying to do with uh, a franchise business is uh, set ourselves the task of forecasting its earnings over the next five, ten plus years out. And a franchise is a biz- is a concept that we came up with with a business with an economic moat. Uh, ultimately, that means that it is more predictable in terms of its earnings base, which ultimately makes my job easier as an investment analyst uh, in p- predicting what its earnings will be into the future. Right. So uh, um, give us an example. What are some of the companies you've you've invested in? Sure. So there's um, businesses such as uh, Anheuser-Busch, the world's largest uh, beverage brewer, um, companies such as Microsoft we've owned over time. Um, Today we have a small position uh, in companies such as Alphabet, which is the owner of Google. Um, So these are the sort of the monolithic companies that people really do associate with with that type of strategy, if you want. Um, Others that are probably less well known would include um, the world's largest tax agent, H&R Block. Um, we also own a business called SES Satellites, which is one of the world's leading satellite providers. Um, so it's those types of businesses, some of which your listeners would have heard of and some of those that they probably um, wouldn't know. Yeah, right. And are any of the companies in, your, in that portfolio Australian? Uh, they have been over time. So we've owned uh, ComputerShare, which is one of the largest share registry businesses in the world. Um, but today, in terms of that uh, franchise portfolio, we're struggling to find uh, companies domiciled in Australia and listed on the Australian Stock Exchange that both fulfil our criteria and provide us with a, a decent amount of, of capital upside. So, um, but so is, be- that a, is, that, is that, should I take that as being a commentary on, on Australian business scene? Uh, possibly. It's probably also a commentary on investment markets generally, where um, we're finding it difficult today uh, to find a lot of companies that fulfil that criteria of being predictable, uh, forecastable, what we define as an economic franchise, and also meet the criteria of being uh, adequately priced so that we can generate a decent return for investors. Um, Markets are expensive, Alan, and uh, there's a dearth of genuine investment opportunities today. How expensive do you think markets are? Are they? I mean, what I mean is, are they? Do you think worryingly expensive? I'm not a market timer. I try and invest today with a view of three, five years out. So um, predictions that I try and make on a three, six-month basis, um, I leave it up to much more cleverer people who are market soothsayers, if you want. Um, but they do look worryingly expensive to us. And and part of the reason around that is people are mistaking, in our opinion, the low bond yields and low interest rates as uh, as a um, sort of one side of the equation is lowering their discount rate and meaning you can pay more for a company. I think that's that, that whole argument's fraught with a bit of danger. Yes, well, it's certainly what's going on, isn't it? I mean, as you say, low interest rates have led to higher multiples, um, that is to say the, the prices um, that people are prepared to pay for earnings. 
Um, but in some ways, um, the fact that interest rates are low is an indicator that um, indicator that the economy doesn't look too good in the future. Maybe earnings will come down. Is that what you mean? That's exactly what we mean. So, we're, if if what you've really got to do when you when you think about valuation is to keep the consistency in the multiple you're prepared to pay and the earnings growth that you expect from that company, or if you like the discount rate and the cash flows that it throws off. And what we think the market's doing in most cases or in many cases, I should say, is they've accepted that interest rates will be lower for longer, but they haven't made the adjustment that you've noted there, which is that the economy is probably going to have lower growth and therefore that will entail lower earnings growth for companies going forward. And that, of course, means that we see many sell-side brokers falling into the trap in their research of saying, oh, we expect uh, this company XYZ to revert to trend earnings growth but we're prepared to accept that there's a, a higher multiple for that earnings growth because we've got lower interest rates. And you're right, they've just completely missed that uh, in, in explicit nexus between the growth and the strength of the economy and where interest rates are. I mean, you're obviously not worried enough to be out of the market because you're investing in companies. I mean, is that is your fund... Uh, fully invested or not? Yeah, it is. We've 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 probably got around about 5% cash today, so pretty much fully invested. Um, that's there if we can see an opportunity with a share price that falls because we're seeing lots of volatility throwing share prices around and, you know, looking to take advantage where, where that uh, warrants it. Um, but we only own 25 stocks today out of a potential universe of more than 250. Um, so that's not because we're wanting to just be heroic for the sake of it. It's generally because there are around about 25 stocks that we think will generate decent returns today for investors. So um, as I said, a, a concentrated portfolio is necessary because of the universe of opportunities that we are presented with today. So you mean that you've only found 25 opportunities, stocks to buy in your whole universe, uh, and that's because everything looks too expensive. Correct. So, but you mentioned Alphabet, um, the owner of Google. My impression was that that's pretty well priced. It's not exactly cheap. It, it's had a decent run. You're absolutely right. And we, we've we owned, uh, if I cast my mind back three years, we had a much bigger position in the portfolio, circa 5 6%. Today, we're down to about one um, slightly higher than that since the antitrust issues created a little bit of a, uh, a buying opportunity for us. But it's not as cheap as it was, absolutely correct. Um, and, as, and as stronger business as it is, as strong franchise business as it is, um, the most important rule to remember is it doesn't matter how good the business is, it's the price you pay for it that matters about the investment that you're going to make. Um, and so for us, Alphabet is a, a stock that we've made good money on. Um, it's 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 got fairish value propositions today um, in terms of its growth expectations that we have, but it's certainly not as cheap as it was going back three or four years ago. Do you invest in any banks? Uh, in the global equity franchise strategy, no. Um, and the reason is, I, I mentioned at the outset, the framework's all around predictable companies and predictable businesses. And um, banks really do have two main drivers that um, can distort the earnings forecastability of them quite dramatically. Uh, the first is, of course, credit growth. And the second is, of course, uh, 
bad debts and the and the percentage of bad debts to their loan book. Um, so you know, if you, you take the Australian banking sector for argument's sake, we would have massively underestimated credit growth, and we would have massively overestimated what we thought bad debts were going to be. Um, so it works both ways, um, and so the unpredictability of, of of those businesses means that we exclude them from our universe globally. Um, as strong as the the Australians and the Canadian uh, banking sectors are, they just don't make the grade for us. Um, as I said, there's only 250 stocks that we. Look look at globally. And so it's a very high bar um, that they have to achieve. You also run the Global Listed Infrastructure Fund. Um, You're finding more opportunities in infrastructure to invest in? Uh, it's a similar similar story there, unfortunately, um, for us. I mean, that's where the, the concept of the economic franchise came from. It was around our uh, long-term uh, strategy that we've built around global listed infrastructure, around the predictability of certain infrastructure assets. And when we built the franchise strategy, we unshackled ourselves from just investing in infrastructure to include a whole range of other potential companies. Um, but out of a, a universe there of less than 100, uh, again, there's... Uh, only around about 20 infrastructure names that we'd be prepared to own today. So um, the market has really fallen in love with defensive companies and, and, and that to us has meant that a number of them are being priced uh, for perfection and do look a little expensive. So in infrastructure, we find uh, value opportunities today in Europe. Um, we find very little value uh, in the in North America, in particular um, uh, the United States in, in terms of US utilities. Um, and so our portfolio is concentrated in 25 names today that we think uh, offer some decent value, and most of that's in Europe. And are any of them, or many of them, renewable energy stocks? I mean, what do you think of renewable energy as an investment? the renewable energy sector is is the economics of which are highly predicated on on government uh, subsidies and, and government regulation and in some ways we like government regulation where you've had a long history of how a company's been regulated take uh, a monopoly uh, electricity network um, for instance if you take Turner which is the monopoly electricity transmission grid of Italy it's had a consistent regulatory framework for going back 20 years. Um, Every five years, the company sits down with the regulator and they discuss what they're going to spend in terms of maintaining the network, expanding it, and what returns are are commensurate with that risk over the next five years. So you've got a really good uh, CITER on what that company should earn and how it's regulated and what its value is. Renewables is a little more difficult. It's a, it's a newer sector. Um, most of the companies within that within that space uh, tend to have um, a mix of uh, regulation and market risk, and we don't like market risk. Uh, that's where they their, their earnings are far more unpredictable. Um, and, you know, one of the, if you coin the phrase, one of the things we like to do is to buy the companies that provide the infrastructure backbone for those renewable sector. Um, so, you know, if you like, we're not interested in the gold miners, we're interested in the companies that sell them the picks and the shovels. We're not interested in the wind farms or the solar farms per se. We're interested in the networks that send the electricity power lines out to those solar farms and are guaranteed a return, if you like. Just finally, Warren, what do you think is the biggest risk now for investors in the world? 
I think it comes back to the interest rate conundrum that we all face. Um, markets are, are seemingly now grappling with the issue of lower interest rates for longer um, and what that means in terms of in terms of valuations. Um, and I've seen, as, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of discussion that um, we're, we're, we're accepting lower for longer interest rates, but we're, we're believing in long-term growth rates that are reverting back to trend. And, and, and that, that, that really is an apples for oranges comparison. You have to link interest rate and interest rate assumptions with your assumptions around growth rates. And frankly, I think that's the trap that most of the investment market's falling into at the moment, where we believe in the free lunch, if you want, of lower interest rates, but that doesn't necessarily mean lower growth. And I think you've, you've got to align those two numbers. Um, and so that's, that's the risk that I see in the short to medium term. Um, what that means, how that plays out, that's that's for uh, other people to try and for, uh, for you know try and foretell. But um, for us, it's it's around being anchored in that discipline of making sure that we um, sort of look at those two numbers and make sure that they align. Good on you, Warren. Thanks very much for joining us, Alan. Thanks for the time. I've been talking to Warren Robertson, who is the portfolio manager or a portfolio manager at Lazard Asset Management.